0: You're listening to the DTF podcast, Down to Fitness, where we turn personal trainers into fitness professionals. We're your hosts, Dayton McPherson and Kyle Radun. Kyle, are you ready to start talking about exercise today instead of all the sales stuff that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks? I'm so excited to talk about fitness, man. I want to work out. Let's talk about it. And i don't want to work out so that's why i always like the sales stuff a little bit more than kyle but today we are doing exercise programming 102 a little bit deeper dive we did have an episode 101 that came out a few months ago just very very basic stuff so we're going to review that very quickly and then we'll start talking about some other things in terms of exercising and trying to get your clients those results so kyle did you want to kind of summarize what we talked about in you know that first episode 101
1: yeah uh for sure so And if you couldn't tell already, the two big differences between us for sure is Dayton is definitely the sales business guy. And I really, really love exercise. Um, I love programming. I love working with the clients. I love doing all the like nitty gritty, like personal trainer stuff. Mm -hmm. I actually don't love, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I love the business side of things. I love running my own business. I love all that. But uh, it doesn't, it pales in comparison to the actual exercise and like the the sweat part of uh, what we do. So uh, one of our most popular episodes was Programming 101. And it was very much a 101 rudimentary episode. We talked about like if you needed to warm up or have cool downs for your clients. Uh, we talked about the importance of tra- uh, training compound movements or uh, or how not important they might be, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, how important is the back squat? Are we doing regressions or progressions to get us to those movements? are we mostly built around those compound movements? Uh, talked about a lot about that. We talked a lot about regressions, getting people started, um, teaching proper movement and body weight and bands. Uh, any, what else did we touch on? I think-,
0: I, I think that was kind of it. I mean, it was very rudimentary stuff that we talked about, like getting somebody started off, really, and, and what we tend to do and how to progress them. But we we didn't dive into like Macro cycles and mesocycles, and you know, hypertrophy strength, all that good stuff. So, that's kind of what we wanted to talk about today.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, because really, if you have trained clients for more than you know, nine months, at some point, they are going to get better, they get stronger, they have a pretty good looking squat. You finally got uh, a barbell in their hands, and they're doing deadlifts, and they're doing overhead presses, and their shoulders are healthy, and their knees are healthy, and they don't have back pain anymore. Um, you know, now what? They, right. You got them into relatively healthy; they're functionable adults. Assuming you're not training a an athlete, which today probably go into a little bit more of what it's like to train an athlete. But one on one was very Gen Pop. Yeah. What happens when you take your client from Gen Pop? Now they can play with their kids. They mm-hmm. can get down on the ground. They can crawl around. They can put their kid up in the air over their head. Uh, it, What's going? What, what does training look like now? Right. It's
0: going from 3 sets of 10 to what now? Right? Uh, isn't isn't that typically what we start off everybody at has 3 sets of 10 or 3 sets of 12 and you know that that's great to begin but after a while your body's going to get used to that and then we, then we have to progress them into that strength hypert- hypertrophy that word always makes me trip up uh power
1: speed all that good stuff. That's okay. Some of the best uh trainers in the space still say hypertrophy so hypertrophy. like I I've stopped picking on people for pronouncing it wrong yeah. because I enough good trainers can't say the word. So I'm like, yeah. all right, I'll come off my high horse now. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so did you want to touch on that? Like the phasing first and strength hypertrophy, endurance, power, speed, um, and kind of what those look like? Yeah, so actually,
1: so I love that you mentioned uh, like the periodization stuff because while it's super important, I think it's overstated in a lot of people's CPT books. So this is a good place to start. Cause I'm actually going to knock it a little bit. Okay. Um, great programmers. We do this naturally, but I don't think a lot of people really sit down and try to break out exactly what that year looks like. Cause it, any good trainer knows when you program more than like a month in advance, mm. you really, the program starts to fall apart and you start to change it anyways. Right. So basically when we talk about uh, periodization, we're looking at uh, macro cycles, which are generally the big cycles. Those are months long. Within those months, you have mesocycles, yep. which are usually shorter, four, six weeks. Um, these are usually when I do my programming, I call these phases of my program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, For me, they're four to six weeks. Studies show the average person gets adapted to a workout about four to six weeks. So when I program, I actually use four weeks as my my sweet spot number. Yep. Uh, but they say you can get just as much effectiveness out of six weeks. When I'm working with clients, I like the four weeks because it gets them to change to something new sooner. And from a sales perspective, if I change the workouts every 28 days, they're really excited for their next building cycle. So it's also oh, a yeah. retention tool. Yep. That's true. Okay. So I, I do like to keep changing it because I keep looking forward to what's going to change and what's going yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. Yep. Um, And then within that, you have your your week to week, your workout to workout type styles. Those might be your your leg day or your upper lower or your core day or arm day or whatever you're doing. Right. So that's how you break it down. But I don't want to spend too much time on that because I don't think it matters as much. Big goal, weight loss. Okay, well, we're going to try to lose weight. How are we going to try to lose weight? Let's break it up into a couple cycles. I know I want to build strength. How do I get you? To building strength the way I want you to be able to. To me, building strength is like a five by five deadlift, five yeah. rep max, six yeah. rep max, heavy weights. Yeah. I'm not going to do that in your first six weeks. So now I want to reverse engineer that to how what do I exercises do I need that are going to lead you into being able to deadlift so that we can teach you the deadlift so that we can then progress the deadlift to the five by five, right? So now in my first um, my first cycle, my first phase is is really is just teaching you how to deadlift, building up the hamstrings the glutes strengthening your core uh a lot of single leg exercises in the beginning because most people have really big imbalances from left to right Mm. most people have stronger quads than they do hamstrings they sit on their butt all day so i'm going to work on the muscle groups Using machines, maybe bands, things that people haven't done before, build up those muscle groups so that the first time on a deadlift, they're already going to be a little more successful. Mm. So just
0: to clarify, that five by five that you were talking about with strength, you're not doing that in the beginning. Okay. no, no. no. All right, good, okay. That's my goal. All right, to just, just to do so a five we're five. on the, the same page. So if you've got someone that's doing weight loss, like what do you typically start them off with, with like sets and reps? Is it four sets of 10, like five sets of
1: whatever? Like what, what are you doing typically? So I really like when you made the joke about three by 10. I think that is that is the sweet spot. And if you've if you've been in the industry long enough, three sets of 10 started out being like the where everyone should start. Uh, if you actually go back to the the creator of Nautilus, I want to say Nautilus. Um, anyways, uh, never mind. I can't remember the story off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, old school, right? Three sets of 10. Over the years, physical therapists and like really educated people in the space were like, no, it's too standardized. You need to be a little more specific. Eight reps, 10 reps, 12 reps, three sets, four sets. And now 15 years later, guess what happened? We all came back, Mm -hmm. walking to any physical therapy office in 2023, three sets of 10. So, yeah, three sets of 10 is now my my official answer for everyone starting off.
0: And I can't remember where I read this, but it's from a study, like the three sets of 10 from like the 50s. And and, and and I do, I wanted to tell that story, but I can't remember it. Yeah, I can't remember it either, which is really sad because it's something that I do in programming for health tracks. Um, But yeah, it's from a long, long time ago.
1: So So anyways, so yeah, so I'm going to build up that strength. Now, 101, we talked about how to build up that strength. So I don't want to necessarily dive into that. My assumption here is you've already been training for a year. You can do all the major movements. But now what? Uh, And this is where I think a lot of trainers start to get stale in their programming because they've done pretty much the straight sets. Mm -hmm. They did three by 10 for a while. Then they increased the volume to four by 10 and then four by 12. Uh, Maybe they worked into some really high rep, high volume stuff at four sets of 15 or three sets of 20. What happens now? It's gonna get stale, it's gonna get boring. And this is where now in the advanced area, I want to start messing with my rep schemes. I want to start working on maybe the bodybuilder side of things. I want to start working on eccentrics, slow negatives. I want to do pause reps. I want to do, you know, stuff like that. Because now once you've understood the motion, and you can make an argument for slow eccentrics as a good way to actually teach movements in the beginning, because that slow negative, you can really control it down. um, And it helps teach the movement. But it is a very much an advanced technique because it will destroy your muscles, Mm. right? So adding advanced techniques, um, say we're doing a bench press, and we always get stuck at a certain point of a bench press, usually just off the chest. You start to push off the chest, you get stuck. Well, just now training more more bench press, five by five this week, six by three next week, eventually you're gonna plateau. And Mm -hmm. how do we break through these plateaus? This is where I would incorporate something on a bench press, like a a pin press. I'm going to start the bar one inch off my chest and I'm going to start it at the hardest part and just work that motion. We break down the movement to find the weaknesses to keep progressing you further. So, you know, rep manipulations becomes a huge part of that. Mm. Right. Yep. I mean, right there. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally get that. And
0: I know what you mean. So, I mean. It's basically, where does everybody want to be? And we all start off with, oh, all my clients are going to be doing barbell back squats and barbell deadlifts and all that good stuff, and and not everybody will always get there. I don't have, most of my clients do barbell back squats, the safety squat bars, kettlebells and things like that are going to be better for them. And each person has to be different. Like you were saying, Kyle, like feel that burn and and do uh, eccentrics. We're we going to do isolation exercises. Are we going to do speed like kettlebell swings and box jumps and things like that? If it's not important for their goals, then why are you doing it? Just because it looks cool? Maybe, but <laughs> you, you don't need to do box jumps if if no one is an athlete, really. they They may want to do it, but is it
1: a part of their program every single week? Maybe not. Well, and, and now I love that you mentioned, like the athlete in, in jumping, because we didn't really talk about power or speed or agility. Um, I don't I don't do any plyometrics with clients in the beginning, but mm-hmm. now that you've built strength, OK, now it's safe to start working up maybe to a box jump. Right. But how how are we going to work that in? I'm not and I want to clarify, I don't mean in CrossFit, we're not going to do 50 box jumps four times. When we train speed, power, explosiveness, we are talking one rep max box jump. We are talking you jump on a box, step down, rest until mm. you are fully recovered. Two, three, four minutes, yep. and then do it again. That like pogo stick jump down, ju- jump <laughs> yeah, up yeah, yeah. is not power. That's conditioning. Go for a jog. Right. That's the same thing, right? Yep. So we're training athletes. We need to treat power like it's a one rep max deadlift. Right. So, yeah. Um, cause now, you know, you mentioned that what other styles of training do we have? We mentioned strength. We mentioned hypertrophy. Um, I don't talk about cardio a lot cause I'm not a cardio guy, but you do have like strength endurance, uh, which I think of more like the running. Like, can we produce enough strength to push my body forward 1 million times to run, you know, a marathon or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then you think about athletic athletics power speed agility mm-hmm. um I know it's an power speed agility
0: yeah that that's pretty much it
1: Co- covers the most ones right so you're athletes so now when i'm training that i'm giving the long rest periods explosive power move on cool right so we've covered strength we cover you know athletic and then bodybuilding really is that i started talking about the rep schemes when you are training for weightlifting or strength training versus training for aesthetics. I think this is one huge topic that maybe we don't all understand and trainers might, but the general population definitely does not. So when I'm training for strength, my goal is to lift as much weight as possible. I am getting the best leverage that my body can. If I am in a deadlift I'm really digging my heels down, I'm pulling my shoulders back. I'm taking a big breath. I'm using my whole body. I'm gripping the hell out of the bar. And anything I can do to get that bar up. And if you mm. watch a powerlifting meet, they're gonna have they're gonna be shaking like crazy. They're gonna yeah. be, you know, the eyes are popping out of their head. They're, you average person would say that like your form broke down and it didn't look very good and yeah, whatever right Because they don't care about how it feels. They don't care about how to get the weight off the ground, right. lock a rep out.
0: Right. And with that being said, doing one rep maxes for gen pop is not my recommendation. Like you don't have to have somebody shaking and blood coming out of their eyes and nose. And you've seen videos of people throwing up as they're doing one rep maxes and stuff. Like I don't need that for my clients. What I understand that for those people, like the, the power lifters, there is a point to it. You're, you're competing in something like, we're not trying to injure you or have you do any of those things if you're just coming in to lose some weight and feel better. So I th- I think that doing the one rep maxes, at least for me, it doesn't serve a point with gen pop. No. Hi- I think the, the highest that I'll go, or sorry, the lowest that I'll go is like a four or three rep max. That's about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really long time people I'll do doubles maybe, but yeah. definitely not much more than that. Right. Yep. Uh, Usually with a, a good, strong client, um, if they can pull it off the ground once, if you can do like touch and go, they'll usually get that second one. And to me, hmm. that is like the my one rep max equivalent because right. you go a little heavier, they probably don't get the first one off the ground. So yep. then you're that's when you're starting to split hairs. Right. Uh, but again, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. For gen pop though, and this is kind of why I went the bodybuilding route is for gen pop, bodybuilding is actually more of what we are doing with our clients. Even if we, yeah. Um. You, people hear bodybuilding as a sport and think like, you know, speedos on a stage, uh, but it's not. It's building our body, it's sculpting the body that we want. Every single client that came into your consultation asked you for bodybuilding. Right. They told you that they didn't like that little flabby part on the back of their <laughs> arms. They squeezed their love handles, right? They, they pointed out the physical aspects of these things. So when we're talking hypertrophy and aesthetics, we're not talking about how much weight you can leave, lift. It's not about leverage. It's about feeling the muscle burn mm-hmm. and contract and squeeze and how we can kind of manipulate that. So, the yep. cool thing about bodybuilding for the general population is I can almost guarantee no injury risk here. Like yeah. This, I can take hell, I can take you through a bench press workout with an empty barbell and a PVC pipe and make you not be able to touch the top of your head for a week. Because if you really manipulate the pause reps and slow negatives, I mean hell, right? Example of a, a bodybuilding like bench press. Maybe my first set is twenty five reps with the empty barbell. If you do hmm. anything that many times, you get so much blood, you pump it up. Uh, have you ever watched Pumping Iron? Yeah, the of course. School, yeah. Right. I anytime I talk about the pump, I always think of the the famous Arnold quote that uh, pumping is like coming. <laughs> Jeez. My, my my favorite line of pumping iron. Oh Uh, God. (laughs) I'm going to actually go back and we're going to add the little clip in here. Yeah. You're
0: going to add the clip in there. Nice.
1: um, No, in all seriousness, it's that, that feeling of the blood coming in, the the muscle coming in, uh, water coming into the muscle and just pumping it, get really nice and tight. That's how we build muscle and we don't need a lot of weight in a high risk to do it is basically where I'm
0: going. Yeah. That totally makes sense to me. Um, yeah, I just don't see the point with doing low, low, low reps of people. If, if, if they want to feel that muscle, and we've talked about this before, that so often people associate a good workout with being sore and not being able to move. And no, that's not the definition of a good workout. But if you can really try to have them feel the muscle, which I think is probably the hardest part of being a coach, is anytime that someone does an exercise, where did you feel that? What did you feel? And God help me if I hear another person say, I don't know you have to feel something, whether it be pain or, you know, the muscle working or joint, like I need you to talk to me so that we can determine if this is a good weight, not a good exercise, or, or if we have to change the modality, like the communication is key when we're trying to build programs. So always ask Um, people, what do you feel?
1: Yes. So I always ask that. And you're, you're right. They say things like, I don't, I don't feel it. Uh, we talk about you can do a deadlift and not feel your butt or hamstrings at all for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, this is where we take some advanced techniques. How do we make them feel their glutes and their hamstrings? Mm. Okay. Well, do you have an answer?
0: No, no. Oh, I thought you were I, I, No, I was waiting on
1: you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, this is where I'm going to take a, a band, right? Yep. I'm going to do a banded hip thrusts or... Something where I can isolate the glutes and the hamstrings, make you go into like the top of a glute bridge and just hold it, squeeze, 20-second hold. You're going to feel it eventually or your back will start to hurt because you're now you're holding yourself up with the raw muscles. Right. So I can right away find out. And then just with, by manipulating your feet, I can take the pressure off your back, feel it back in the glutes and hamstrings and have you keep holding it. Isometrics are some of the best ways for us to connect to the muscle that we can't feel during an exercise mm-hmm. and this is what i consider as priming i always want to prime the important muscles for the lift so in a deadlift people sit all day hamstrings and glutes um lack of better terms they go to sleep i know people use like yeah. sleepy glutes is not like a real thing but the concept behind it is that you can't call on those glutes to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it right and your back starts to hurt so uh isolating the muscle isometrics, holding, squeezing, light reps, high volume. You'll start to feel it. Then when you go back to your deadlift, you can't not feel your hamstrings and your glutes. And now you go to do it. You're like, Whoa, there's my glutes. Excellent way to take an advanced method and actually apply it even to the beginner. Mm
0: -hmm. So you were talking about bands, uh, other modalities that we can use. And we'll talk about bands here in a second. You can use chains uh what are some other things that we can use kyle that maybe you know past the dumbbells and barbells and things like that
1: um well the the two biggest ones for me are are going to be bands and chains um something you maybe don't see in a normal weight room uh, but if you look at any kind of sports athletic facility um and most like rogue racks even in like crossfit gyms now are starting to come with the pegs on the bottom right for the squat rack so that you can attach bands to them but walking to any university they are all doing banded squats now why incorporate a band into your lift um in a lift there's always this strength curve you start the exercise and it's usually at its easiest you get to the end range of the exercise and it's the hardest and then you come back to the starting point where it's the easiest again so for instance in a back squat you take the bar out of the rack it's nothing. I'm standing up. I can hold that right. there all day. Yeah, 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 I drop to the bottom of the squat, and then I get stuck there, and I can't get out of the hole. Same weight, but way harder at the bottom. If you attach a band to each side of the barbell, at the very bottom, the band doesn't do anything. So that hundred pound barbell on your back is still a hundred pound barbell. Yep. As you stand up, and the elastic starts to stretch, it starts to add resistance at the top. So now maybe at the top it's two hundred pounds, but at the bottom it's one hundred pound. Mm. this is going to create some speed to get out of the hole, get you faster, get you stronger. I mean, bands are my absolute favorite and chains are basically the same concept is that as you lower down the chain, the links of the chains sit on the ground so they get lighter. And then as you come off the ground, the chains are now hanging from the barbell. So what you're describing is resistance. What about
0: using bands for assistance? Oh, what a great question, David! So you can do it with like pull-ups or dips. You can use it with bench press, squatting, deadlifting, all that good stuff to help you from the bottom of the exercise up so that the heaviest portion is
1: now at the top yes. as opposed to the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now I use the bands for the strength curve to make the easiest part of the lift the hardest so that it's just damn near hard from beginning to end, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of that. Yep. A band for assistance is going to make the hardest part of the exercise easier. So uh, you mentioned pull-ups. Now, yep. if I put a band on a pull-up bar and I put my feet in it, where is the hardest part of the pull-up if I don't have a band? The bottom. The bottom. Pulling if I up. have a band giving me assistance, where's the easiest part of the pull-up? The bottom. The bottom. So, this is where I see a flaw. Here is a lot of people want to get into pull-ups so they use the band assisted. And now it has you can see them. Oh, look, I'm all the way at the bottom. I'm all the way at the top. I've done a pull-up. Now I'm talking to trainers. This is great for your clients to walk away feeling good about themselves. They were able to do a pull-up. They have never been able to do a pull-up. Yeah. Encourage that, cheer them on congratulations, your client did a pull up. Now, hey, trainer, you're not getting them better at pull ups. So this is where I kind of Yes, I do some assisted pull ups with my clients to get them feeling good, a little grip strength, get them feeling what it's like to do a pull up. Yep. But they will never have the strength to get out of the bottom of the hole if you don't, if you keep doing the banded pull-ups. So what I've learned is I've had clients for years training banded pull-ups before I had to realize that the banded pull-up was what was keeping them from ever getting their actual (laughs) pull-up. So you have to progress past that very soon after they got that very, yay, I'm doing pull-ups now. Okay, next.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is there a benefit to doing it? And I think you hit the nail on the head right there is that, yes, there is a benefit of doing it. Your client is doing the movement. Are they getting better at the movement? I don't know the answer to that. Like, I, I, I would say yes, in terms of like neuromuscularly and understanding how to like use their joints. Maybe not in terms of the correct muscles to use because at the top, they're probably just yanking themselves up with their biceps or they're using the band to skyrocket out of the hole. And then they're just bouncing on like a the trampoline. band. Yeah, it's a trampoline and like, yeah, it looks fun and everything like that. But I think there is some benefit to it, even if it's just um, like in their mind, like, yeah, I did a pull up. Cool. Like. But there are, I think, some better ways to, to teach pull-ups. It's kind of the same thing as that uh, silly dip and pull-up machine that you put your knees on, you know, the pin-loaded one mm-hmm. from, I think, Nautilus
1: and Matrix make them. And then it's a wee going up and down. So I actually like those more so than the band because it's constant resistance. All right. Those machines, at least if you weigh 200 pounds, I could put 20 pounds on it. Now I weigh 180 pounds at the bottom, but I also weigh 180 pounds at the top. Okay. Whereas when I put the band on, I weigh 100 pounds at the bottom and 180 po- 80 pounds at the top. So it's mm-hmm. like I never get the experience at the bottom, but at least yeah. with that, I can put exactly how much effort to dig out of the hole. Right. Um, but what I was going to say is you said something really great there. Um, if you, once you progress past the banded pull up, there is one way of doing pull ups that I really like for that beginner is jumping pull ups. Now, okay. why jumping? That's um, where I'm where I'm at here. Are you are you more so looking for the
0: eccentric coming back down in the bottom? So you jump up and you grab it and then you try to instruct them to go a little bit slower yeah. down. Yeah, and, and I've read a lot of research that more often than not, people are teaching the eccentric part of it. And that will increase their strength. But then you see the flip side where everybody's like, no, banded pull-ups. And it's like, no, eccentric. So yes, I, I a, can see the benefit of doing that.
1: I love I love that that's a debate because I would like to find the person that wants to debate me on that because I'll do this for a whole hour. We could turn this episode to the pull-up episode. <laughs> I, um, I would love to take two completely like similar
0: untrained individuals, like same age group and blah, 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 and see if you can do like a 12-week cycle of eccentric and then also banded and see who can
1: do more after that and uh i will i will put my money where my mouth is and if you and i could go find two two people people that are interested that can't do pull-ups and don't have like strength training that you could train them that way and then i'll train mine and we can regroup in 12 weeks we can have a little pull-up challenge it would be interesting to see i'm not saying that one
0: is more beneficial than the other for certain things. I think that they, they both have their, their space, but who, who would be able to ultimate at the end to do the most amount of pull-ups, if any, like maybe the band, like you, you, you just can't, yeah. but
1: then the, the resistant one, you're like, doop, doop 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 doo. Yep, exactly. Um, keep it. So this is where I would challenge trainers is to think about where in a workout do you get stronger mm. muscle breakdown happens in the eccentric. So, if I have a bicep curl. When I'm flexing my bicep, my bicep's contracted. So all those, uh, all, all the muscle fibers are already in a shortened position. They're tighter. They're, you know, compact. When I stretch my arm out, it yeah. rips the muscle apart, and that's where I start to have some of that breakdown um, in the muscle. So if I actually jump up to the top of a pull-up, I'm holding myself up at the top of a pull-up and I go to a really slow negative, the actually at the bottom, I'm getting the most strength out of the lift down here with my body weight slowly, 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 slowly hanging to the bottom. Mm. With the band, even if I do a slow negative, I never allow my body weight to go into the negative portion of the pull-up. So I'm always losing out on strength at the bottom. Whereas if I jump up to the top, No, I didn't I didn't pull myself up, so I didn't get the pull-up part, but Mm. I got the full range of motion in the part of the muscle that matters most. Yeah. And if you've never done these before and you have someone that is trying to learn pull-ups, even you don't even necessarily have to jump if they're a little not jumpable. But put box, stand on the box, come on. Get your chin over the bar and then three five second negatives. One, two, three, down.
0: Well, you said something that I want to hit on full range of motion. We have to get people doing a full range of motion, even if they don't have the capability alone without assistance to do. Joel Sidney's an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, ridiculous. You have to get people doing full range of motion. So if someone comes to you and they can't even do a bodyweight squat at full range of motion, you know, I see full range of motion, just get your hips parallel. I don't need you to go ass to grass. Just get it parallel for me. That's fine and you can't do it just on your own, we have to find a modality that you can, whether that be a sit to stand, whether that be a TRX using bands, whatever the heck that it might be. You've got to do full range of motion for me because that's going to get not only your muscles, like Kyle said, to be active and and tearing so that they can repair themselves, but it also speaks volumes to your joints too. You're, You're putting synovial fluid into your joints. Your joints are meant to move at full range of motion. And if you always put them into full range of motion, then you're going to feel better, not like half reps and things like that. Yeah. Um, when do injuries occur? When your joints don't move
1: properly or so, in the right pattern and position.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so here's the
1: thing: is like you see this all the time in athletics, uh, and I, I I ranked on Seedman just a second ago because he trains professional athletes. And he's known for this 90-degree squat, 90-degree press. And in athletics, that actually is an okay way to train if you are just in like a sport performance, like explosive sport. Um, If LeBron James started squatting ass to grass, he absolutely would lose some of his ability to dunk. There's no doubt about it. Mm. But we don't talk about – I'm not training LeBron James. That's just – we train average old folks – if we were this podcast would be doing
0: a lot better than it is right now
1: <laughs> oh god I'm lebron james coach
0: you know yeah d- uh, tag tag lebron in the show notes share that one yeah.
1: uh i don't even know where i was going now uh, um
0: strength if, if he was going to oh yeah spawning, no if you, if you
1: messed up his mechanics now it would screw up his whole sport so when you get oh yeah athletics if you had nine-year-old LeBron James never squatted ass to grass before, became an excellent basketball player. I'm not going to mess with that. But when you take Gen Pop off the street, I'm going to start you from the beginning, and I need you to get in that full range of motion because that's where, um, like I was getting at actually was end range of motion is where injuries happen. When you are really strong, do you have you ever hear the power lifter that can lift 600 pound deadlift but blew his back out picking up a pencil? Yeah, it happens because they twisted. They bent over and reached behind them. They don't train rotational movement. They train so much in the frontal and sagittal planes that when they put their body out of position, all that muscle and all that force went into the weak spot of the body and just cranked it. So if you want to not blow your back out picking up a pencil, you got to make sure you do a full range of motion. It's just that simple. Mm.
0: And, and. Putting everybody into those, uh, ranges of motion in the different planes is good too. You, you have to make sure that you're training, what is it? Frontal sagittal transverse. Are those the three? Okay. Uh, and making sure that we get those, like my clients will always do a rotate. They'll always do some sort of hinge. You gotta have them do some lateral stuff too. I mean, it's so important because daily life is not one plane of motion. So Mm -hmm. you have to train all of those in order not to get injured. And the injured exerciser is the worst exerciser because you're not going to be able to see that person. You're going to put weight on all that good stuff. So training those things, uh, in each plane, important, 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 please do that.
1: Yeah. I think rotation is the one that we all skip because you get really, uh, into squats, bench, deadlift, this, that, the other thing. Um, what are some of your favorite rotational
0: exercises? Um, so I'll always do like trunk rotations with my clients as part of a warm up. Um, you know, doing e- even Russian twists—they're not my favorite exercise, but you know, get somebody on their butt, like moving with their with their hips kind of still, so they're trying to get that lumbar spine to move. I don't do it very
1: often. Um, let's see. What you else know, Russian there? twists are one of those bastardized movements that every like hit coach uses in circuits? No. And I I feel like they just do that like sloppy flop back and forth thing. Lightweight,
0: try to reach and touch and then come back to the center and do the same thing on the other side. I'm not trying to do, do, do. Like you have to move your chest and your torso. Don't just move your arms side to side, like, like rotate. Uh, I do like rotational med ball slams, med ball tosses and throws and things like that. Um, I like,
1: yeah. So trainers, an exercise that you have a client that needs you for, right? I like those right, throws yeah, where I'm yeah. involved. Exactly. Can't do them um,
0: you know, other than that, I think that using the landmine is good for rotational exercises so that's too. That's what
1: my absolute favorite piece of equipment in the gym. Yeah. Uh, just,
0: just the side to side, like make sure that you're moving can also do, I don't know what the exercise is called, but you face this way you grab it and then you switch hands like mid air and you do the the press. I, I don't know what it's called. No, I don't have any clients that do that. But I think that that is a higher end skill with the landmine. The, the landmine is great with that. But as much as rotation is good, I think anti-rotation is just as important. Like trying to have your body be stable in space. Like That's what the main function of your spine is. It's a stability joint. You got to remember your spine is a joint. It's got joints all, all along the the bottom, all the way to the top. So joints are supposed to be stable. That's the main function. So training, you know, side planks, planks, uh, bird dogs, um, farmers carries overhead, farmers carries like, and yes, you, you will get stability when you're doing squats and deadlifts and bench press and all that good stuff, but, uh, associating it, associating it day-to-day life is good too carry in your purse. Here's a 15 pound kettlebell, like go walk and then come back like that. It's functional exercise. That's carries. my most hated term in fitness mm-hmm. is functional exercise. Cause you can say, Oh, this is functional. Well, it's all functional.
1: Yeah. So somewhere around, along the way, we uh, talked about like bicep curls were so bad and you have to do squats and deadlifts and bench presses and rows and pull-ups. Uh, and then all of a sudden everyone had tendonitis. <laughs> I never like, do bicep curls, never. And I don't I, have big biceps,
0: but I do a lot of pulls. That's that's what I do. I don't, gotta I, gotta I, I do bicep, the biceps
1: for the elbow health, man. I did bicep curls yesterday
0: because my body just felt like garbage. I went down to Jersey and back. And when I came home, it took me almost five and a half hours because there was a lot of flooding in New York. And it made me go like all the way around New York City. And my body was just shot. So I did like the most randomized workout ever. And I did some bicep curls and I was like, I forgot how much I hated these. (laughs) I don't do bicep curls.
1: All right. Well, with that
0: note. You've got bigger arms than me. So I guess I should listen to you. Uh, Yeah, that's
1: because we do bodybuilding around here. Um, Flex on them. I don't like the lighting. It makes, it doesn't really, it's not doing very well for my arms here, so. Now that this episode's slowly getting lost in the weeds here, yeah, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap this thing up. Um, I feel like we rambled a little bit in the beginning there. Oh, no, that's trying right. To recap. Uh, second half of that, I think we really did dive into some really important key terms there. So yep. uh, I'm good with that. I'm good too, man. All right. All right. Thanks, y'all. See you, everybody. See you next week.